And let me invite you to turn your in your Bibles once again to the book of Matthew. We've been looking primarily at Matthew chapter 10, and as you remember, this is the second major teaching section uh, that Matthew includes in his gospel. There are five major teaching sections in Matthew, and this is the second of those, and we're drawing to the conclusion uh, of this chapter uh, in our thinking today. But I, I'd like to have us uh, see the big picture uh, of this teaching before we leave it, and so I want to call your attention to uh, this whole unit of thought. If you look there in verse 35 of chapter 9, notice what we're reading there, that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And then you look at the last verse in our text today, the first verse of chapter 11, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. And so you, you notice that the parallelism in those passages, right? Both of them speak of Jesus preaching and teaching. And then in between, we have this instruction by Jesus to the disciples as they go to preach and teach. So, so we've got a, a unit of thought here that, that we're supposed to consider, I think, a, as a unit of thought and, and realize the basic theme here. Uh, a couple of themes, perhaps, we could point out. He's first encouraging us to see the theme of the kingdom. Okay, the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, we read there in verse uh, 35 of chapter 9. Matthew is very much about the furtherance of the kingdom of God, the rule of God. He summarized Jesus' teaching, remember, with that expression, that, that Jesus came preaching, that is proclaiming, calling people to the kingdom of God. And so that kingdom theme is in mind here. When he, when he commissions the disciples to go out, he tells them to preach the kingdom. And we want to keep that in mind in our own thinking about what it means to be a Christian. Okay, to be a Christian is to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. We may be in earthly, an earthly kingdom here in an earthly political sphere. But our root identity is to be members of the kingdom of God. And so the, the mission that Jesus is sending uh, his disciples out on here, then, is the mission of calling others into the kingdom. Remember what he said there at the end of uh, chapter 9, beginning in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You read between the lines there and see what he's saying? He's saying, when I look at these crowds... Okay, I see a people who are harassed and helpless who need the good news 
of the gospel. Okay? I see sheep that are not being shepherded. I see a harvest that's not being brought in. Okay? And so in a sense, he's inviting his disciples here to see those people around them the way he sees them and to enter into his calling, his commission to present the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, and see God's people respond to that, to see these harassed and helpless people respond to the message of the good news, uh, to see sheep that are brought near again by their shepherd, uh, to see a harvest that's brought in for the Lord of the harvest. And so in, in chapter 10, then, he formally commissions the apostles there in the first verses of chapter 10, and then he gives them instructions. And, and if you go back to uh, chapter 10, verse 5, we, we see a, a, a movement in this chapter beginning in that first section that begins with chapter 10, verse 5, okay? And perhaps you can recall from our looking at these, these uh, passages, the, the, the progress that we see taking place in the course of reading through chapter 10. Uh, there's, a, in a sense, a, a temporal movement here, a movement through time that begins with the apostles' mission to Galilee, this specific immediate mission that they're going out to right now, and ends in our text with a time of rewards, which, of course, is the end of this earthly age. Okay? So there's, in a sense, sort of a time progression here. And there's also a, a movement from anticipated reception of their message. Remember there in, in uh, that first section that we looked at in, in Jesus' teaching? He says in verse 11... Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Okay, so, so there's a, an atmosphere of reception. You receive without pay, he's saying. Give without any pay. But as we went through that chapter, we saw rejection come in then. And then we saw persecution even, right? As the disciples of the Lord are identified with him. There in verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more would they align those of his household? And, and, and then it, it moved, even though Jesus says in the very next verse, have no fear. He, he, he lets his disciples know there's going to be persecution. It's going to be violent even at times. It's going to be persecution even to the point of death. And that, that led then to Jesus making the point that to follow him requires a cost. You have to place him above every other love, him above every other relationship. Look at that in, in verses 34 through 39. Verse 37, he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There's going to be a cost to following Christ. I'm going to have to be 
first in your life, he says. And in fact, he goes on to say that your love for me has to eclipse your love for yourself. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You're going to have to have such a complete change in your thinking, Jesus is saying, to be my follower, that your devotion to me is above everything, even your, your own self-interest. And yet, at the same time, he's leading us to, as I mentioned before, the rewards at the end of this uh, teaching that he's given. So look again at verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The reference to finding your life sort of introduces this last section where Jesus is going to talk about rewards. He's going to have us have us seek to raise our, our, our view, our expectations above the present time, above this present moment, to the rewards that he's holding out for us. So let's look then at our, specifically the verses that we're going to consider, verses 40 in uh, chapter 10 through 42. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will see, receive a righteous person re, reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus' point here is really, is really simple, but it's one I think we have to work hard to really get a hold of, to possess not with our mind so much as with our heart, to, to, to grasp as something that's going to influence the choices, the decisions that we make. Uh, so let's look a little more carefully at these verses. We, we notice again Jesus' use of uh, parallelism to emphasize something here, and we see a, a pattern in that first statement that he makes. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Look carefully at what Jesus is saying here to us. He's saying he identifies himself with his people. He's identifying himself with his people. This is a most remarkable, uh, most remarkable thing when you really stop and think about it. Most kings do not rule this way. The dictators of this earth do not operate in the same way that Jesus does. Jesus is purposely choosing and has from the beginning to advance his kingdom, his rule on this earth, through his people. Through his people. In what sense do we receive him when we receive 
the people he sends, his own people. Well, well obviously, in one sense, we receive them because we receive his word through them, right? Remember that he's sending the disciples out to preach what they've heard from him, to teach what he has taught them. So certainly, if, if we accept the teaching of one who belongs to Christ and who is, is correctly presenting Christ's word, then by accepting that word, we are accepting Christ. You can see the logical progression there, right? So in that sense, when you receive the teaching that a Christian is giving to you from Christ, you're receiving Christ. I'm belaboring that a little bit because, because we want to make sure that we don't get caught up in the, the personality, the specific person that the message of Christ is coming through. Okay, the, sometimes we buy into the thinking of the world that that looks at the conveyor of the information and forgets that our focus is to be on the message. Okay. There, there are a host of things, a host of ways in which I fall short as a pastor and as a preacher. But your salvation, your entrance into the kingdom of God doesn't depend upon my perfection. It is not hindered by my shortcomings. Okay, you're to be listening for the voice of Christ speaking through his word and responding to that. And as we see later on in the text, that, that applies to other forms of ministry as well. Even that ministry of, of ministering to someone's physical needs can be a way in which Christ is ministering to you. And the corollary to that, of course, is that you are to minister to others in the same way. You are to minister to them in terms of physical ways, meeting their physical needs, but also in terms of teaching. And some of that teaching, as you know, is not just by word, it's by your example. Remember that, that we've seen Jesus' teaching here as applying not just to these 12 men that he's sending out there in Galilee. It's clear from, from the rest of the instructions that he gives that Jesus has in mind the continuing mission of the church down through the ages all the way to the end of time. So he intends for you to have this sense that you are on mission in this world. That you have a treasure to carry to other people. And indeed it is a precious treasure, isn't it? Uh, someone has, des has described evangelism as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Okay. As Christ has met the deepest needs of your heart, 
you are to be moved to present him to others so that their deepest needs can be met. So, so in, a, in a real sense, Jesus is sort of pulling all of us into this passage right here. Whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. There, just as there is a unity in the Trinity, there is a unity between Christ and his church. And that's to, that teaching should encourage you in your own living out of your faith. It's not you that's doing it, remember. It's Christ who's doing it in you. That's why Paul speaks, for instance, of, of, of being crucified daily, okay? of, of surrendering himself daily, of daily setting aside his own concerns and seeking to live for Christ. So you're called into that, not only to receive that good news from others, but to convey it to others as well. And I think that's what's in view in, in the next few verses then. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. There's a, there's a unity then that happens in this, in this business or, or in this transaction of ministry between people. And so as one person speaks God's word, and that is received by another one as the word of God, I think that's what's meant by receiving him as a prophet. Okay, the focus again is, is on what's being conveyed here, the message, the prophetic message, he receives a prophet's reward, both the, the one who speaks God's word and the one who receives and affirms that word share in the reward. And I think that's in view with the next analogy there as well. One who receives someone who is righteous because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And of course, this is not saying that, that you have to be perfect. Okay, Don't read that into this text. Scripture clearly tells us that our righteousness comes from Christ. That, that he is the one who makes us righteous because of his righteousness. And so this isn't some kind of work salvation that's being presented here. Rather, rather it's it's saying, in a sense, as, as you see Christ at work in one person, and you affirm that and, and receive that, then together you receive the benefit of walking in the righteousness that Christ gives. And, and, and so we've, we've moved, in a sense, in verses in verse 41, from, from that unity of Christ with his people in verse 40 to the unity of the church with one another in verse 41. None of us ever arrive, right? We, we never attain perfection in our faith. And so within the body of Christ, there's to be this continual going back and forth. One person ministering to another, that person receiving it, and then going on to give it to others. And I, and I think in a, in a certain sense, Jesus is sort of giving us a picture of the life of the church here. 
And then verse 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Hey, who are the little ones here? We've had no mention of children in this text, right? And, and I think this is clearly Jesus referencing his own disciples. This is not the only the only place that he uh, refers to his disciples as little ones. And, and indeed, you probably remember uh, uh, the imagery of a child receiving Christ as one that Jesus holds out to be emulated as the way into the kingdom. And so I think what he's saying is, in terms of my people here, my little ones, may, maybe they're insignificant, maybe they don't have... Uh, uh, a high profile in terms of the world. They're not wealthy. They, they don't have a position of status, perhaps, even in the church. But any ministry, even the smallest ministry, even, the, even just giving a cup of cold water, brings the reward that I'm talking about. And so this is the third time, then, we've heard reward here. Jesus is interested in giving rewards to his people. And in fact, in a, in, a, in a real sense, you could say that everything we receive from him is a reward. Uh, back in chapter 5 of Matthew was the first time we saw him using that term reward. Right, after, right at the end of the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were, were, who were before you. I don't think Jesus is talking about an earthly reward here. Your service as a member of the body of Christ may go unnoticed. Okay? Uh, it, it, nobody may remember it. Okay? The... You could perhaps think of the analogy of a, of a parent with a child. I remember reading of a father caring for his little one, got up in the middle of the night and was helping them with something. And, and he, was thinking about, uh, he, he was thinking about that experience and, and he was thinking, this would be such a great thing to remember. And then he realized, my little one won't remember it at all. <laughs> They won't be able to remember uh, this ministry that I'm doing for them. So, so in a similar sense, your ministry as a member of the body of Christ may go unnoticed. In a certain sense, you, the person that benefits from that ministry might not even know of your involvement. Uh, right now, there are Christians in, in Europe, uh, we learned from... Uh, Chuck and Sue Anderson, there are Christians in Holland, in the Netherlands, who are collecting clothing, food, all that kinds of things, and transporting it with their own uh, trucks, the trucks that their businesses have, uh, to Ukrainian refugees. Now, whoever benefits from that ministry may never even know about those people involved in it at the other end. Uh, but it all, it all is noticed by God. It all is noticed by God. And our ultimate reward, of course, is 
to be the people of God for eternity, isn't it? When Jesus commends those who endure persecution, he says, remember others have gone through the same thing. And great will be your reward. You know, we, we have no idea. It, it is beyond our ability to comprehend the blessedness of heaven. Now, there, there's, there are metaphors used of heaven in Scripture. Uh, we see word pictures like in Revelation that, that seek to convey the idea of wealth and, and, and beauty, glory. But those all fall short. They're all just sort of pointing in that general direction. Now, in a real sense, is it, isn't Jesus calling us as his people uh, to, shift, to shift our reward focus here? Now, it's really easy for us to focus on rewards in this life. Rewards of, oh, I don't know, relationships we want, the house we want, the retirement package we want. It's really easy for us to, to slip into focusing on earthly rewards. And there's nothing wrong with, with working to succeed at something you do. There's, not, there's certainly nothing wrong with seeking to do the best you can at your studies so you get a good grade or working hard at your, at your career so that uh, that you can be productive and advance or investing in other things that that have real earthly benefits but 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 be sure those are all subordinate to those rewards that you're working for in heaven that's where your ultimate reward is and if you can develop that mindset, that's going to have real effects in your decision-making and in your own life. For one thing, it's going to enable you to make decisions that are in accordance with the will of God about earthly matters. Okay, if your mind is on the reward that Christ has for you in heaven, you're going to be much more prone to make the right decisions in places where you're called to make a decision on, on earth. And another thing that's going to do for you is it's going, to, it's going to enable you to rise above the many, many disappointments in this life. Uh, th there, are, there are many ways in which life is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Uh, your efforts are, are going to be overlooked by people on this earth, okay? And, and people are not going to value you for who you really are. But if your focus is on the rewards that come to you for eternity, then those earthly disappointments suddenly look less overwhelming, less overburdening. Remember, the, the writer of Hebrews points us to Jesus in this. Remember, he says, 
that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. In other words, he thought the shame was insignificant. It was nothing. I mean, in earthly terms, the shame of the cross was horrific. It was the worst possible thing they could think of to do to a person, the most shaming thing they could think to do to a person, to strip them naked and leave them to die a horrible death. And yet, the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus thought that was insignificant, wasn't worth getting concerned about because of the joy set before him. Because of the eternal reward. And what was that? Well, we're told that, that Jesus was bringing many sons and daughters to glory. You see his value structure there? He valued you more than earthly shame. Now, we have the opportunity to do that for one another. We have the opportunity to look at one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord and treat one another as most precious. Remember when you're interacting with another, with another church member, with, with another person who believes in Christ, you are talking, you are interacting with someone for whom Christ died. There's no earthly price tag that could equal that, is there? And so you have the opportunity in, in your relationships with one another and with others who believe, you have the opportunity to ascribe to them their true worth, their true value. It's not in how good-looking they are. It's not in how good a job they have. It's not in how, how great influence they might have. It's, it's not in anything that they can give to you. Okay? It, it's in what Christ valued them as. And in fact, doesn't Jesus say, this is the way people are going to know you're my disciples. Not by dressing a certain way, not by, not by being a member of a certain church. Not by ascribing to a certain set of rules. And he says, doesn't he, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. By the love you have for one another. That's the mark that Jesus gives. Now, I'm not saying it's not important to make sure that, that when we teach, when we teach, or when we preach, that, that that is in accordance with the truth of God's word. I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful about statements of faith and so forth. I'm not saying that it's, it's not important to make a commitment to a local church. I think it's very important to make that commitment. I think it's a way of living out uh, your commitment to Christ. Uh, but, but what I am saying is Jesus has given us the hallmark of believers. And that's love for one another. Love for one another. 
and, and in an interesting way, I think, the love that, that grows between believers becomes, in a sense, that ultimate reward. Because that ultimate reward that we enjoy is going to be the love and endless fellowship of God's people in his presence. Right? You are hardwired for relationship. The very first thing that God said, the first thing in Scripture that said not to be good is when, when God says it's not good for Adam to be alone. You are called into relationship with God and with his people. And that in itself is going to be the fullness of your reward. In that, in that heavenly setting, all the longings of your heart, all the desires that you have for meaning and for purpose and for happiness are going to be realized in Christ in the presence of his people. And so in a real sense, Jesus is sort of inviting us here and, and in other passages. He's inviting us. Why don't you get a foretaste of that? I mean, in a certain sense, you're getting a foretaste right here, aren't you? I mean, that's why you come to worship here as a congregation. But because you believe that there's something that happens when God's people gather together in worship. And so it's important to you. And so you get up on a Sunday morning and go to all the trouble coming here. And so in a sense, that's a foretaste of that heavenly worship that you'll receive, that you'll enter into, which will be so much more magnificent than, than what we do here. But your love for one another is that foretaste as well. I guarantee, I guarantee that, that, that when you, in the strength of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, when you love as he's talking about here, I guarantee that you will find an immediate reward. <laughs> Your ultimate reward as a Christian is in God's presence. But there are a thousand smaller rewards that he brings. And much of that, I think, is in that very act of self-denial. In that very act of demonstrating love or others in the body of Christ, you can begin to get a, a foretaste of the rewards that Jesus is talking about here. And, and that's why I think that has such an impact on the world. You know, we live increasingly in a culture which is all about self. Okay, it's all about how can you get more? How can you get the possessions that you need? How can you get the experiences that you want? How can you get the relationships that, that you want? And, and Jesus flips that here, doesn't he? He says, no, it's not about that at all. It's about prizing me above all and seeing me in my people and responding with love and care to them. There will be Wonderful blessings for us if we pursue this. Let's ask God to help us to do that.
Lord, we, we're mindful of your tremendous love for us. Uh, we, we think about the love that motivated the Father to send the Son, that motivated the Son to give his life, that motivated the Holy Spirit to impart that life to us. And I know we can, we can just understand a really tiny little bit of that. Uh, we, we can't really uh, fully understand it at all. But, but Lord, help us to understand enough of that, that it will transform our thinking, uh, that it will guide our decisions, that it will motivate our lives from day to day. Uh, we want the reward, Lord. We want the rewards that come from being your obedient people. I don't think there's anything wrong with us wanting that because you talk about rewards a lot. Uh, so help us, Lord, to be a people who are looking for those eternal rewards. You don't get distracted by the things of this earth and the, the temptations to go for lesser things. And, and help us to encourage one another in that as well. Uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.